Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Jeff Weber. I am a distinguished architect with the consumer group Intuit. We make TurboTax. How many here have heard of TurboTax? Okay, good. I won't have to explain what TurboTax is. Um, what I am here to do today is to walk you through our journey in the last year and a half or so, where we took the TurboTax workload and moved it up onto the cloud. Now, there's several... There. Um, several steps along the way. Basically, I'm going to tell the story, walk you through it. And as we go through that, I'm going to kind of dive deep into what are the strategies we applied, what are the kind of decisions we had to make, and what are the kind of troubles and things that we've, we hit along the way to give you a real-world, behind-the-covers kind of glimpse of a real customer's adaptation onto AWS. Now, before we get there, give you a little glimpse in terms of our reality in terms of development season and whatnot. TurboTax runs in what we call three peaks, and our planning cycles and development run along that. We have the first peak, which comes after a launch in the December timeframe. As traffic builds up, we hit into the late January, early February, when the IRS opens its doors for electronic filing. Um, documents like W-2s and whatnot are available for download, and people actually start filing in earnest. We get a peak there. We settle down for a little bit of time, and then we hit that April 15th deadline where most people fly, and we get a big peak then. And a lot of our focus is around making sure that works well. April 15th, it calms down a little bit, but as you probably know, you can file for an extension. Um, that extension comes due middle of October, which is what that third peak. And we basically, we're gonna use these peaks to kind of do our planning. That middle trough right in there, that's really good for a lot of good heavy refactoring we may need to do. And then we're going to start ramping up, getting ready and pressure test, make sure everything's good to go, um, make any adjustments as we run through first and second peak. Now, bring us back to the timeline and start walking you through the journey here. We're at October of 2016. We're doing a lot of planning, and particularly there's some things we need to do, may not be as exciting, but we got to do these to get going. We have to secure our resources. Now, even with a company who's dedicated to going to AWS, executives on board, there comes a point in time when your business leader has to make a trade-off decision between, I've got some new feature I want to pin, and I got to do some infrastructure. And what worked for us there is going into this with all the planning we had done is to get agreement. We have so many resources that are ours to do this migration. And then from there, we took and put in our planning cycles and said, okay, with these resources, I can do this in each sprint and each quarter, and that's where we then to execute going and plan on that, and we have those resources going to each season. Securing funding is important as well. We're going to have our infrastructure in our own data centers, as well as new code and infrastructure in AWS, and hence the double bubble problem, as we call it. Uh, we need to make sure finance has that on the books and is ready to go. We need to predict and project what that cost will be. This is new for us, and so there's a lot of ambiguity around that. The two kind of things we did around that, first we started with an internal tool that simply took at our workloads, our instances, and just did a kind of a mapping. Okay, those are these instances in AWS, they'll cost this, we'll run this amount of network. That gave us a rough guess. That was our first kind of cut that we put over to finance to get into the budget going forward, way in advance of anything we did here. 
From there, we met with uh, AWS Solution Architects. We're not kind of more fine-tuning in terms of as we move this workload, what is the actual set of instances in the relationship to getting right down to actually making better choices around instance sizes and connections and the numbers we have. We then plug those into the AWS Simple Monthly Calculator. This was a very good tool. That refined that numbers as well, kind of then put that and project in terms of our peaks and valleys of where we go. Those projected back into finance as well to kind of account for so we had the cost, expected double bubble cost in the budget going forward, that helped us moving forward as well. Other two things I want to call about, there are these migration principles. A key here is that we need decisions made locally at the teams. And so what we did, we set aside, here are the principles in terms of when decisions are made, these are the criteria that we're going to make. Most teams were able to kind of run and do those decisions on their own. When they escalated up, we all went back and said, okay, this is what's important. This is how we're going to make the decisions. And I'll go through those with you in a second here. The second thing was a template. Think of it as a, as a statement of work where all the teams we ran through in terms of moving their workloads, here are the seven big bucket items you're going to run. Here's some more details around it, all the way down to actual set of items that went onto the backlogs from all of those, which helped us kind of track with all the teams working and doing work, where is everybody in the sequence? And how is it according to our plan so we could keep moving forward? And I'll go through that in a little more detail as well. First of all, migration principles. Like I said, this is what we use to drive decisions um, throughout the thing. We drove for simplicity. One of the key things that are design principles I've had throughout my career is keep it simple. This applied here. AWS provides all kinds of fun, cool stuff you can do. You need to defer on that. Keep it simple minimal viable. The goal here is to get up and running first. Solve the most difficult problems first. This is important. As we kind of figured out what we had to do, we had some big, hairy, gnarly problems we had to solve. We made the clear, explicit choice to put those first in our sequence and tackle them. The phrase we used was pick from the fruit at the top of the tree, which is a reference to a strategy where you may pick the low-hanging fruit and then get yourself painted in a corner. We explicitly moved around that and solved those difficult problems first up front in the very thing we did. Lift and shift, refactor optimistically. This kind of goes with the first one a little bit, but it's more on the lines of take what you have and run it there. Now, there's going to be some refactoring you have to do, and I'll go into that in a little more detail around that, but the emphasis around just pick up, drop, and run, and wait till later. The ability to dial. So in any kind of decision we have to make, I'd ask the question, can we dial traffic in? Can we dial traffic out? This is the classic AWS two-way door principle, and this is very, very important in moving our stuff up there. Any type of, of strategy or, or plan that was put together was like, well, we've got to get up there, and then we're stuck. We took that out. We have a dial. We dialed in and out. That accelerated our journey up in there. Another thing was about to operate in AWS. I talked about those peaks. Now, it's one thing to run some load up there. It's one thing to run a capacity test up there. It's another thing for the business to have confidence to actually run with the real users at the load that we drive in our peak periods. And we said, whatever we get up there, we need to run through these peaks. Then we'll have confidence and move forward. Maintain and improve their user experience. There are same we'd have to make um, in terms of when we get up there. That was always key in terms of what decisions are we making? Are we making the experience better or worse and make sure it's better? And we always secure our data. This was true before. This is true in AWS. 
We picked a particular portion and we meant to make sure it was part of our decision making around that, as well as using contributing patterns. We have a center of excellence team at AWS for, for migrations. They had a lot of patterns they were getting. Whenever we had problems, we went to them, hey, what's the way to solve this problem? They worked directly with their AWS partners and, and as well in terms of developing those, as well as when we came across something that they didn't have a pattern to solve for, we worked with them to develop that as a pattern and contribute it back to the company. These are the key migration principles that we use to decisions around that. That brings us to February of 2017. Now, one of the key design principles we had, we had, we existed in two data centers, and we ran traffic in either one in kind of a session full active-active in the sense that a user would be allocated to a data center and then run in that data center. They may come back later and be allocated to another data center. And what we did and decided to do was we'll just add, add a third leg. That third leg would be west and basically run in an active-active Activish scenario where a user could go into one of these when we put a dial. We made some specific kind of upfront um, infrastructure changes that moved the dial we had, which was fairly coarse between the two, to pretty granular one in Route 53, where we could send those sessions to one of the three areas. And then again, this is that dial, dial it back and forth. Once a user got there, they stayed there. We voided specifically the kind of ping-pong architecture where the application may be here, but call a service over there, a service over there, for two reasons. One, it introduced latency. Again, going back to the principle of preserving the customer experience, this was bad. It also, with all the additional network hops, has a resiliency aspect to it that we wanted to avoid. So we made a key to keep things local in there. Lift and shift versus refactoring. Now, some of the teams and in the early things that we were trying to push up into AWS, they did and followed that, that, that you know, shiny object of let's do a lot of refactoring. And those, a lot of those projects kind of faltered and failed to the point that the, the kind of principle came out and strategy came out with an intuit that says you got to lift and shift. Some teams took that too far to heart and said, hey, I'm going to lift and shift and don't change anything. That led to problems that have own. The key thing is to really find that sweet spot just a little bit close to lift and shift, but not quite there, but be very, very clear about what you're gonna refactor and why, and, and know that it ties back to Excel. For example, well, some of the things we did, we had, we were in a three-year journey, third year of a three-year three journey to remove some persistence object out of a local Oracle database we had in our TurboTax online stack. We chose to finish that refactoring and then not have to move Oracle at all. That was a key thing we did. We thought that would accelerate. Um, TurboTax session management, I referred to a little bit here. This was born in a static data set and environment. Um, we could, in fact, change our cluster sizes and change that allocation with a deployment after waiting months for hardware, et cetera, et cetera. We need to make that more very dynamic in the dynamic world about the living. And so we targeted that as a key set of refactoring, be very dynamic and fluid and elastic in the sessions and the amount of sessions each, each center could have. We also consolidated a lot of database. So as we move data, it wasn't moving a bunch of database as much as we've consolidated did that in our own data centers and then migrated that set up there into AWS. Things we did not do. We have a large set of Cassandra clusters. In fact, the consolidation was part of that. We stood up Cassandra in AWS. This was an important simplification because we set up our replication back and forth. It was all native Cassandra back and forth. The temptation was to go to Dynamo. We made the choice to defer and wait on that sort of thing. Containers is another thing. 
In, in IH, or, IHP, that's an Intuit term. Uh, in our own data centers, we were not running containers. We had VMs. We simply then dropped inside of EC2s and ASGs as a fairly sword, uh, straightforward drop. I'm going to talk a little bit about, more about that in a second around that. But a key here I want to talk about is when you do this migration, you do, this, you do some amount of refactoring, which you're going to need to do. You want to pressure test that and get confident in your own data centers before you then drop it in here. And this then goes also back to that dial. If I'm going to move traffic back and forth, if I have a problem over here, I don't want, you know, I don't want a question about, well, is it a problem over there or not? Well, if it's the same code base, that kind of goes away. and You can start moving and managing your traffic much better that way. Let me talk about containers a little bit. Now, going back even more than two years, we'd actually been doing some amount of refactoring from a monolith. TurboTax itself goes way back. It was born as a desktop application. Its first hosting was as a big monolith desktop application. We've been breaking this apart. As we did this, one of the things that I observed and noticed is that if you take a monolith and break it into, at the extreme, very small set of nanoservices, as those increase, you, get, you tend to get some coupling in between them. You tend to get some overhead of cost because I may need to have three instances for resiliency, but I'm getting so little traffic because it's such a small use case that this thing serves that it becomes inefficient. Plus, I have all those additional kind of pipelines and overflows and deployments to kind of work around. And so we had actually brought that, and in the refactoring we did originally, kept these set of services that we ran um, fairly large in that respect. So instead of 100 or so specific services, we actually ran with a dozen or so, still 100 or so APIs within them, but very carefully grouped logically in terms of what do they use internally. So those interdependencies you may have are actually internal within the services versus a network all around that. Given that we had done that, it made it pretty efficient to run those without having to do a container. We actually did a cost analysis around what is the work to move containers? Um, what is the benefit we get given the infrastructure we have? And we decided that it was not worth going in that. Another side of benefit that it had, because we had these specific instances in VM, we knew how large, how many we were going to need based on our peak, based on the size that we had there. We also knew and could plug that in back into that AWS monthly simple calculator I referred to, which then give us very accurate, very accurate um, cost projections back to finance to help us move forward. I keep stepping too far away. All right, now I'm gonna talk about the sequence template. Now, we had the principles, and now this is, like I said, is the statement of work. And they're, they're intentionally numbered one through seven. We actually refer to them by number in terms of where is team on particular part of this, and that's why I listed that here. It started out with an experiment. There's a great AWS program called the 90-day program. Basically, you take your stuff and you drop it there. This is a POC. You see what works, you see what doesn't. It's a very beneficial thing to do because you'll learn what you didn't know you didn't know in the sense that you may have thought, hey, I've got to, I've got to do some refactoring here. Oh, actually, it's working well. Or you thought, this is going to work fine. Oh, it's not working. Or at least you also then get the actual data and understand what you may need to do, which leads into the second step around that. And this also refers back to the attendance of finding that right set of refactoring. Having done these 90K kind of drop it in their POC, see what's working, this fed back into the larger planning. We said, we want this set of refactoring, which started as a big list. And like I said, we got very, very deliberate in terms of what we were going to do and what we are going to do, and we whittled that down to the kind of small set we had. That was the second step. 
in this sequence around that, that teams win in dead. This also goes back to the principle around big stuff early, and that's why this was done early there. From there is a fairly straightforward rollout. We built this in pre-prod. We had a lot of teams doing work, and so the kind of the prevailing uh, theme there was just get it up there and working. Um, there are a lot of cases where one team was ahead of another, and so things were calling various things across the area data centers. They weren't always very performing and efficient. He said, that's okay. We're not going to worry about that now. Just get it up there and working eventually to the point where we got critical mass as teams get their stuff and workload pushed up there. And then that leads us into our perf build-out where we'd optimize and make sure the monitoring is all buttoned up and in place. We'd harden it. Security was very deeply involved. Um, penetration testing, all those things were in place in our performance environments so that we could actually then fulfill the principle around maintaining the customer experience around that. With that in place, we now build out in production. We take these, these templates we have, we do our production build-outs into production accounts and environments, and go from there where we start doing our capacity testing as well. It's another pass validation from security as part of their go-live testing. Now, I specifically say capacity, not performance, and I'm going to touch on more of this later, because this is about we're running, and now we're going to go up to a peak level and come back down and be very elastic in that. That was very important around that. So there's a whole concept here of capacity that's going to get to. From there, this became what we call our three-step shuffle. Um, I referred to a little bit later. We're going to step into West. We're going to dial a little bit there. We're going to see how it is, maybe come back, dial a little more to the point that we dial as much traffic as we can. West became our next leg, and we could then take out one of our data centers going back to an active-active stance between AWS and our own data center. Our next step beyond that, which is seven, is to do the same build-out in East. That became a third leg in that respect. Dial a little bit there, dial a little bit more to the point that we now are confidently sitting in West and East, and we can get rid of our last second data center in that respect. That's the sequence we ran everybody through. This gave us a common language, which was important, because a lot of teams involved, a lot of sequence we were trying to run through. And so we then ran what I would call waves or work streams around that, where what we started with, we took Quad F. Now, Quad F is a product you've probably never heard of. Um, it's something we do for the IRS, where if you qualify, you can file your taxes for free by putting your values in directly on the forms. We'll do the calcs and file it for you. Um, you'll find it in IRS.gov. But what was important for me, at least, in terms of the sequencing, this was kind of the smallest full vertical app from application to a set of services to the persistence underneath. The smallest set of things I could say, you guys, you're the tip of the spear. You're going first. Let's get this up and running and going. And then we'll build from there with a second stream around that, which is what we call the MyTurboTax. Now, MyTurboTax is a term we use a lot internally. Effectively, if you use TurboTax, there's some stuff you do before you actually prepare your taxes and after you prepare your taxes. MyTurboTax is that wrapper around the actual preparation of the taxes. It's its own architecture and set of applications. And it was then a few more services and in persistence, but still smaller than the big set of the tax ecosystem. That was our next wave or next work stream that came through there. And then we added on the TurboTax online, which is now the full prep experience um, that, that you see and you run for every particular year. There's a long tail of other applications, mostly dev tools and whatnot around that, that we're still following through in my arena place. But the talk today, and particularly we focused around finishing that, that third piece there, which is the TurboTax online. 
All of those then went to this big table. Like I said, it allows us by referencing the numbers, it allows us to say, okay, I need this team to this team to be on this step and this step, and I could see how it fall over, um, fell out over time, and I could understand as teams maybe didn't finish projects or on that, what that would affect and, and going forward around that. That was the work streams. That brings us to September. So remember back, we had that kind of lull between after the second peak. We've done a lot of this big dev work, refactoring work, because we've tackled the big problems first. Those were in place, and now it's time to go. One of the things we do that is core to our DNA before AWS and is now is this regular cadence of capacity testing, like I said. Yes, that's Bob right there. Yeah. Um, Bob runs the uh, capacity testing. The, we run these very frequently, where we take and we run synthetic load and we dial it way up. Um, these spikes here, you see, these are actually user counts across there. And in particular, there's one that didn't go as high. This is important, I want to call this out, because we run not only happy path, but unhappy path in these. And in fact, I would, I would say it's those ones where things go awry, those are where we get the best learnings. And so it's important that we run these and get this because it helps us understand what are limitations, how we overcome them, and the team becomes a muscle memory in terms of how to fly this ecosystem. At the end of the chart there, you see our third peak. We validated for the season. Um, we kind of cut back and ran for the third peak there. That's, that's what that is. Now, our capacity testing tooling. We use an in-house open source called Tank. Tank is cloud natus. We will set up a number of use cases. A use case is something where um, we know a user is going to do this type of path through the product end to end. That's going to be captured in a use case. Another persona type of use case is going to do another kind of step through, maybe a little more here or there. That's another use case. We actually run with about eight use cases specifically, and we'll dial them up to, in terms of running load out of tank at various number of, of uh, you know, users coming into our system. Then we also then look at the system itself. Okay, how does the load we're seeing across all of our services and APIs compared to the load that we saw, say, at the last peak that we ran? Where are there gaps? We'll fill those in what we call supplemental load, which is effectively your integration type test drivers we just call APIs, to that we can then bring the system up with synthetic load to match what we see at our peaks to make sure it works or find where it doesn't and fix and address that way ahead of time. These are run end to end. And what I mean by end-to-end -end is we get all the teams around uh, from not only just the TurboTax, but its dependencies to our dependencies in our core groups and, and uh, central groups as well to then run and execute these and go from there. We run these weekly or bi-weekly, off-season about bi-weekly or um, every other week. We move to weekly as we get close to season, which we are now. In fact, the last couple weeks, we've ran two a week just to get ready to go. Now, let me pause for a second because I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about this triad of things I call monitor, observe, and respond. Um, in particular, I first want to kind of call out a difference between what I call monitoring and observation. And especially, when it, or, or just to kind of define monitoring in a sense, think of monitoring as kind of your, your basic table stakes, the things you can see about the health of your system without any context to the service or application itself. Is the CPU running hot? So you don't need to know about the application to know that if it's running 90% utilization, you've probably got a problem. Um, 
availability and golden signals are kind of in that thing. And like I said, it's about that context list. These are table stakes. We set these things up. We make sure they're there. We set up alerts and thresholds. The uh, uh, site reliabilities will work with the devs in terms of what are those that may need to be there, those alerts. But they're fairly industry standards as well in terms of standards. This is not where we spend a lot of focus. Where we spend a lot of our focus is what I would call in the observation standpoint. And the difference here is now you need context. And you need context from the application's point of view into what's going on. Now, this top chart here is, is, is calling out what we call a failed customer interaction. Um, so this is not a server's endpoints throwing a high number of errors. This is, there's an actual customer experience that is bad. And we've noticed it, and we're measuring how bad it is or how frequent it is. These are things, like I said, in the context, it's also sometimes problematic. This particular one is snag screens, and this may be, which basically means you're going through the product and you get kind of, oops, we can't serve the page for you. This can come out a number of different technology stacks where we serve screens around that, and that's why context is important because what we want to see here is not that this stack or that stack may be throwing, but what is the holistic view as experience? Is this user seeing a high number of these snag screens and or not, and track that. This particular report you see here is, is done out of Splunk. We use a lot of Splunk, generating a lot of these queries, a lot, sometimes kind of on the fly, where we see maybe from the monitoring, something's kind of going awry. We kind of start pulling together queries, creating these dashboards. We have a lot of these dashboards. We'll spin them up for a lot of uh, you know, instances like this, and then keep them around and keep looking back at them. But it's done with very discrete context that you have to build them. The second one there is out of Wavefront. Wavefront is a nice tool that we use, again, because of what we can do with Wavefront. We can get kind of really creative by applying and pulling a lot of data together and then see it graphically, what, what is going on um, and the, the type of thing you need to understand the context for. Now, out of those two things, there is the response section. Now, the, the TurboTax ecosystem just simply doesn't just run. Um, there's a lot of kind of controls and levers we put in place. And particularly, we do a lot of FBA analysis and testing around that. This right here is a, is a glimpse of one row out of that where we said, if this particular problem happened, how would our system respond? And we ask these questions ahead of time. In particular, there is the kind of team-specific one you want to do, but we look at more of outside an end-to-end perspective. If this happens, um, how do we respond? And we define what are the levers that we pull, and in what order we're going to pull them, and what teams are going to pull them. The bold here refers to specific playbooks that are around that. And we do this for a lot of the failure modes that we have. And what's particularly interesting that I found, kind of a, if a if feedback next to happens, by asking the question, is this automated, really brought together the, the SRE operations team as well as the dev, because often, hey, is this off automated? It doesn't mean, can I automate a, an operational control response, but it's conversation back with the development, say, oh, well, if I did this in the code, then actually it would respond correctly um, and be more resilient, which creates this great virtuous cycle between issues we see, perhaps in these capacity testings that we run, all the way feeding back to changes in the code that we have to do, and to just keep running that over and over and over again. That brings us to October. This is their interest into our third peak. We've done a lot of this uh, uh, refactoring. We've done a bunch of capacity testing, fine tune our controls. 
and we start to then venture out and pressure test some of these things in our third peak, first proof of confidence, a lot of this. Um, our free fileable quad F, sorry, um, we never say the long name internally. Um, quad F went very well, uh, went up, actually dialed up more than Toadip right away. Um, they were good and going live. The refactor we did inside of TurboTax, I referred to earlier in terms of the consolidation of databases and session management, went, went very well. The My TurboTax Toadip wobbled a little bit. In particular, this, one of the things that I'm bringing this up is because the real user behavior often varies from what we see and try to emulate in, the, um, in our synthetic capacities. This is why we have the principle uh, prove it in a real peak before we actually have confidence around that. In particular, what we saw is as we dialed up the, turbo, the My TurboTax, initially it was super fine. As we sent more and more users to the um, AWS My TurboTax stack, we saw an error rate increase within that. Now, the interesting thing that happened, just a little insight of what was there, we had users who would come into our page, kind of you know, work around a few pages in the My TurboTax section of the architecture, and then walk away. I don't know what they're doing, maybe get some dinner or something, whatever. But the key was that their authentication token expired. But they're still sitting on that page. And then they come back to the computer, still sitting on that page, and hit the button. Now, their authentication token was expired. What was supposed to happen is we recognize that, and we'd say, hey, let me take you back to the login. However, what we observed is that when that call to verify that token was from AWS, the response we got from that dependent system was slightly different. Different enough that that didn't catch, and they ended up on one of those snag screens I referred to earlier. Now, everything was cool and fine in the sense that they hit from that snag screen, they took them back to the login screen, they got back in from there, but it was an extra step that's bad for the customer experience, so it became important as to a fix. But it's just, just trying to illustrate just the subtle differences we may see and the things we have to kind of address around that. But we did, coming out of that, we had confidence we were good to go for the season. Um, we still had some work to do, but we're going, we're going forward. This brings us to a moment in November. Now, after the third peak had, had finished, we resumed our capacity testing, and there was a real watershed moment in, in, in terms of our testing. We had been running. We've got our own data centers as our strong leg. This is what we're confident in. We're kind of reaching out here into AWS. See how it goes. There was a particular um, unit test where we had been struggling, uh, prior to the third peak, we had been struggling to kind of get our capacity to where we wanted it for, for AWS. We had paused a little bit for the third peak to kind of, and we hadn't validated the changes. This was our first capacity test back into that. Now, as we went into that, the synthetic load we were running, we started wobbling a little bit, as it often does. Um, this is why we run these, to kind of learn and, and fix from there. But the th interesting thing is the issue we were seeing was actually in our own data centers, kind of an adjunct side of the thing. So we shut down the synthetic load in our own data centers, but we kept the AWS load going. And we kept it going. While we were dealing with those issues um, in our own data centers around that, the AWS load actually kept climbing and climbing and climbing to the point we actually went two times the previous limit we had previously reached. And it was that moment, it was an interesting moment because we had been thinking of, eight, of, of our own data as a strong leg, but it was that moment we were all kind of sitting around the capacity test table and said, hey, you know what? AWS is our strong leg now. 
we felt really comfortable. It was no longer, can we do this? It became, this is good to go, how fast can we get there? Um, the kind of struggle around in hearts and minds about, well, is this gonna work or not, completely went away, and we were now full bore to get to go there. But we're not done. That was a synthetic test. That was a capacity test. That wasn't real users. We still had a lot of work to do. In particular, before we start and go into a real peak with real heavy load and real users, we needed to make sure things were going to be buttoned up and running fine. One of the particular, uh, I should say, we ran um, team FMEA test. I've already talked about the end-to-end -end FMEA test. That's what they referred to the other slide around that. We did those as a regular cadence. AWS talks about, refers to it as game days. Do this, we did this, this is important to do all the time. And there was one particular test that we run. This was the West is down, remember, although we're pretty confident here, there's always the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. What if it's April 15th and we've got a whole bunch of users over there in the West and things go totally awry and it comes down? Um, we wanted to make sure that we could handle that situation. So we ran that test. We ran that FMA test. We put, bought the system and capacity up to load, and we said, okay, West is down. Get out now. Everybody, go. Started a stopwatch. Our goal was to get out in five minutes. We ran into the gate rush problem. Now, it was pretty successful in the sense that we gate rushed ourselves, as you might expect. And then what that led to was a series of principles around failing forward. Again, now we've got our strong, believe our strong leg was in AWS. This wasn't about failing back anymore. It's about failing forward into AWS and how do we get there. Um, the principles we followed here in terms of how we were going to handle situations at that peak is that we always protect the customer experience. Whenever there's an issue, don't stop the bug. Don't subject more and more users to the errors that you're seeing. Get out. Just get out. Figure it out later because we've got to protect the customer experience. That's key to what we do and how we operate. Along that, we got a little more finesse in the sense that we knew we had new customers coming in all the time. We immediately would send those away from the problem area. That didn't give us a gate rush problem because we'd already tested the other data centers to be able to handle full load ramp up versus half the load they were getting before. We had to switch over, so we knew we were okay. And then we then created a series of throttles and controls for the existing users to be able to pick them up and move them over. We, could not, we did not want to move them all at once. That's the gate rush problem. Um, we did not want them to kind of go over time as they, because they're subject to a bad user experience. So we actually created and gated our throttling, our mechanism to kind of pick them up and drop them. So we dropped them, and we could kind of dial in how fast we dropped them. Um, tested that with a real capacity test in terms of finding that right balance of how fast to bring it over so that we didn't impact the data center we're going to around that. Another principle around that, move back as fast as possible. You do not get a situation where you have a problem, say, in, in West or wherever you're going, and then you bail out, and you have such fear and certainty that you never get back. And so we made it very crystal clear. When we fail, we're going to go back as soon as the pressure is resolved. Test frequently and think end-to-end. -end. I've talked a lot about this already in terms of the FMEA and testing that we did. In particular, two principles I want to call out around that is do not execute a playbook, and I mean in production at a full load with, with real users. Do not, one, you have not rehearsed. You've not done with synthetic load. You have not practiced. You have not figured out what other things may happen as you pull things, like a gate rush problem around that or what impacts of that. The corollary of that is 
don't have so many playbooks that you can't rehearse them. Keep it simple, going all the way back to that principle. And so we had a very clear set of these are the things we're going to do, these are how we're going to execute. We kept it small, kept it simple, and we knew what we were going to do going into it. December 2017, this was our launch. We addressed the issue with MyTT. Um, TurboTax dialed 50% of the load of users into West. MyTT was at 50% of the load of users into West as well. We ran into a predicted problem, but one to call out in terms of where we're at and understanding our system. Now, on top of TurboTax was a ton of tax return data from not only the return they're working on for the current year, but historical for the past year and the past year and the past year and the past year. As we migrated the data, which as you can imagine took a bit about a time, we prioritized the sequencing around that. Current year stuff went first, the last year stuff went next, two years back, and so on and so forth. We were at a situation where at this point in time, we were still migrating data, which meant if you were a user in AWS and you actually had, say, three years of text data, we were then coming back through our pipe back into our own data centers to pull that data and bring it into your session so that you could run and execute. We, through our capacity testing, figured out how much we could run in AWS before we overwhelmed those pipes. And so we kept a kind of good, strict control on our site. At this point in time, I know I can run so much. We keep migrating data, each capacity test, we change that revision up forward. We knew that before we got in a situation to say, oh, we need to run in AWS, but we, we actually tested. That was the, the challenge we had um, out of launch. We were working on that through the, uh, the season launch, or through the season peak. That brings us to January, February, first peak. Now, one thing to call out, we do run a war room. This is not something new we did for AWS. This is something we've done for years and years. Um, although I would, I would point out, as, you know, as we gathered all the teams together in one location to execute on this war room, for this war room, um, it was not lost on us in the sense that we've built all this redundancy and backup and migration that we just put everybody in one location for operational control. So we're going to work on that, distribute that a little bit. But we do run a war room. AWS is there. Our TAMs are there. Um, they're in contact with all those folks ready to react to issues. We have a war room manager. When an issue comes up, it's called out by the team. We gather around. We huddle. Um, they figure out what we need to do. Because at this point in time, with the amount of revenue coming in at this point in time, minutes matter. And so we run that war room and go from there. First peak, the wobble. Now, at the beginning I said I'm going to give you a little kind of under the covers look here, and this is the type of thing I'm talking about. As we're load was building in, in through January, we noticed some different behavior, because like I said, the synthetic user and the real user often vary just a little bit. Um, we noticed, actually noticed a performance issue with the real users we were having. So this was spun up, uh, Tiger team was spun up to kind of go address us. We had not hit our peak yet. We just knew it was coming, and we saw this issue in place. The interesting thing about this, and this is where AWS really um, more solidified our confidence in, in running the infrastructure there, is that the solution we came up with, it was a great partnership between dev and SRE in the sense that there was a code change as well as an infrastructure chain. We actually were able to roll that out in three days. And so in our AWS stack now, is actually running more performant than our um, on-premises stack. 
Um, this equivalent infrastructure change we would need to have made in our, on, in our own data center was too big and too risky. Um, we did not want to make that change. We chose not to make that change, which puts us in a situation because we've got users running in West who have a, clearly a better user experience, and that's a key principle of ours. Are we confident yet? We haven't gone through a peak yet. So do we want to put all the users there? Uh, I don't know. This, this, was, this was something we were wrestling with. Ultimately, the choice that we made, we then dialed up to 80% at that point in time. We actually went through that heaviest first, uh, first peak day at 50-50 still. We dialed up to 80% coming out of it, where we sat for the duration at that point in time. That brings us to March. From the outside, you'd say, hey, TurboTax ran smoothly. Even, even um, folks within two would say, hey, things ran smoothly. You talk to the dev and the SRs inside, you, they will tell you, yes, it ran smoothly. It's only because we had done this practice in game days over and over again. As things wobbled, we pulled levers and we adjusted and we went forward. And we were pulling a lot of levers in first peak. We got a lot of identified, a lot of things and changes we need to make, things that we, changes we knew were too risky to make before the peak actually hit. But then we hit this lull between the first and second peak, we started doing those and making those changes. At the same time, we need to validate that. So we resumed our capacity testing. Now this chart here is a user count. This is getting more granular day by day. The red there is AWS load users. You can see where the, the red gets much bigger than the blue and the orange there. That's where we dialed the 80%. Um, and you can see the spikes where we resumed our capacity testing. As you can tell, the first one didn't go as well as we thought. But again, these are where the important lessons are. Um, but then it got better going forward, bringing us to April of 2018, second peak. This chart here shows uh, getting more tighter in terms of user count um, in those days around second peak. Interesting thing happened here, as the workload changes again, Synthetic users, a little bit different than real users. We had a wobble in one of the backend APIs. Now, part of this migration, there's one API we used uh, that was more of a backend piece as part of the TurboTax Online. We actually continue to run active passage only in our own data centers. Um, we noticed it started to fall apart and wobble after that kind of first big heavy day. So we failed it over to the alternative site. Diving deeper, and again, following the principles, we didn't waver, we filled it over right away. But we then started looking deep at what was going on. We realized we've got a pretty heavy peak coming here soon. And based on the workload models we're actually seeing now, we are probably gonna topple that thing over again during the peak, and we didn't want that to happen. So what did we do? This is a backend API. We're also running on, on our own data centers, the kind of prep workloads as well. And so we decided, let's relieve pressure from those backend APIs. And this is the point now that we dialed 100% of our traffic over to AWS. This was right before that final peak day. Now, this chart is a little deceptive because it's a little lower than the one day before. At this point in time, we were expecting that to be much larger. But yet, we still made that decision. The reason for that is because just prior to that, IRS themselves, their filing endpoint failed. Now, this is not an issue for us. Um, we keep those filings. We back, you know, 
keep them around. When they come back up, we start flooding them through. It's a, it's a back in the synchronous operation for them anyways. And so it wasn't in terms of resiliency an issue for us. But what the IRS ended up doing is they announced during the middle of that day, hey, we're going to extend filing one more day. And at that point in time, instead of load continuing to drive, people came back the next day. That was our second peak. Um, here's the team right after the peak. Uh, a lot of the team that was there, Dev, SRE, and others, uh, some of the folks are sitting here um, in the crowd. That brings us to the summer of 2018. Now, let me review back to the timeline where we're doing. At this point in time, we need to head east. We had proven our ABS as a solid leg, not just from internally in terms of the engineers, how they felt out of it, but proven at the executives that they could depend on it. And so we started retiring out one of our data centers, getting of those pieces as well. We scaled down our infrastructure. We weren't expecting the load we were getting for a while. We scaled it down in West. Um, we learned we still had a lot to learn about managing cost. We're still learning about managing cost. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into that. And we're building out our east leg at this point in time, getting ready to start running traffic over there, repeating all of our FMEA, doing that kind of six and seven sequence now around east and all of our systems up in east as well, getting to a situation where we have one data center in east and west as our three-leg stance going into season, our third peak coming up. This leads us to what I call the October 1st non-incident. Now, anyone's running AWS, you know things wobble. It happens all the time. Whenever you go in AWS, they'll tell you ahead of time, hey, be prepared for things to fail. They will happen. One thing I, I do appreciate about Amazon in, in terms of things, when they wobble, they're pretty quick to respond and pretty quick to acquire, but they do wobble. The interesting thing about what happened here, this was a, a wobble, I believe it was with NAT Gateway. This was almost identical to a wobble we had seen about a year, year before. The hearts and minds and confidence within Intuit had changed in the sense that the year before when this happened, this was, oh my God, let's get out of West. I don't know about this. We need to be in our own data centers. This is, this is flaky over here. Having gone through it, gone through at this point in time, the reaction was, yeah, it wobbles. Let's dial traffic over into, into East and get out of West. We'll let it come back. The interesting aspect of that, we had a choice at that point in time to fail back to our other data centers. Our, our, in our, our planning here, we were, we were going to be running with three data centers through our third peak a few weeks away. We had done a little bit of a toe dip into East. We knew it was ready to go. There are a couple of issues we were still working through. We could have failed back, but we chose to say, all right, that last second data center, you're gone. We're now up and running in East. We sat there, and again, back to our principles around failing forward. They resolved it. We dialed back 50-50 east and west, which has been our stance ever since. Smooth sailing through third peak from there. We ran third peak without our backup data center, confident there, in east and west, kind of finishing the cycle around this. We've done a whole bunch of FMEA testing in the last couple, couple uh, weeks with east and west getting ready for our imminent launch. Key things I want to leave you with, takeaways around that. Get help. Um, AWS has tons of program from the TAM, Solution Architects, talk to them. They will give you advice. And when they give you advice, 
listen to their advice. Uh, just, just to be a little transparent in the sense of, I've talked to a lot of them who'll say, I've talked to teams who don't do game days, I tell them to do game days. And I say, oh, we don't need to do game days. Listen to them, they know what they're talking about. Engage them, listen to them, follow their advice. The second key takeaway, I want to drive home this monitor versus observation and response. Make that triad your DNA in terms of how you develop and operate in AWS. Game days, run them. Run them frequently. Run your load, whatever that load means for you. Find issues, address issues by going through a blameless root cause. So as you, run, as you find issues, you're going to have to write up your, however you process. We do Jira tickets. Um, get a group in a room. What happened? Why did it happen? How can we get better? What do we need to change going forward? And then put that back in your backlogs in terms of changes you will make and putting your system so it gets more and more resilient. Dev in operations, dev in SRE, especially in AWS, I would say with infrastructure as code, this is more and more one group. Um, going back to the observation, a lot of the things we do in, in, in site-related operation requires context. That need, the, they need to be part of those dev teams, and dev team is held accountable to that where that is a skill set that's part of that as opposed to completely center. We're in the process of a migration from a dev team that was a service oriented to more of a center of excellence, and that is really key or, or brought forward with this uh, running in AWS becomes more and more important around that. Critical few, this is a general good guideline anyways, but make sure you define what are the really important things you need to do and then not do the other things. It's probably often more important the choices you choose not to do, but make sure you do the critical few. Harkening back to you know, what I said about, I'm going to do some amount of refactoring. I want to prove that in my, on, my own data centers first, and then I can drop in AWS. If you've got too much of that stuff, you're going to run out of time. So that was the journey we took the last few years. Um, I will take questions up here. Um, be sure you fill out your surveys. And I would also ask my esteemed colleagues, I see Shiresh and Krithika and Bob, I saw Gopi, I think I see Doug, um, coming up here. They can probably answer questions better than I, so if you have questions coming up, then I'll help you out.